Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 7, through chapter 6, verse 12. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say that is hard to explain, since you have become dull in understanding. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic elements of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose faculties have been trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us go on toward perfection, leaving behind the basic teaching about Christ and not laying again the foundation, repentance from dead works and faith toward God, instruction about baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. Since on their own, they are crucifying again the Son of God and are holding him up to contempt. Ground that drinks up the rain falling on it repeatedly and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and on the verge of being cursed. Its end is to be burned over. Even though we speak in this way, beloved, we are confident of better things in your case, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints, as you still do. And we want each one of you to show the same diligence, so as to realize the full assurance of hope to the very end, so that you may not become sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Would you pray with me? Author of life, we give thanks for your words. As we reflect on them this morning, let your spirit dwell within us so that we might be transformed in heart, soul, and mind. Amen. One day, I had someone stop into the office with a question for me. Pastor, Aren't your sermons hypocritical? You preach about not hurting others with the way that we speak, 
but we still say things that hurt people. You preach about loving our neighbors, living kindly and generously, but we don't do that all the time either. This question was not without merit. We do fall short of the life to which we are called on many occasions. As I pause to consider how to answer such concerns, the truth that rose to the surface was that both things can simultaneously be true. I can preach the kind of love that the gospel teaches even while we learn how to live into that. And so I eventually responded by saying that my sermons are aspirational because the gospel calls us to live a better life than the one we are living now. The word of God invites us into a life of transformation. And so we should always be striving to be more loving and compassionate. This pastoral urge to exert the people of God to a deeper life of faith lies behind today's passage from the letter to the Hebrews. We see that the author is writing to a community that has apparently grown stagnant in their faith. Rather than growing, becoming more mature, the audience of Hebrews is apparently content to remain like infants. And so the author instructs his audience, therefore, let us go on toward perfection. And that word perfection is not an easy one to translate from Greek into English. In some cases, it gets translated as maturity to keep with the metaphor of being infants in faith. But in essence, what this word seems to be trying to convey is that we should move toward having a more complete faith so what does it look like to have a more complete faith? According to today's scripture passage, it means moving past the basic teachings of our faith. Once one has learned about repentance, baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection and eternal judgment, then one has to keep learning. To be sure, knowledge of all of these subjects is important, but they are not the end of faith. Rather, completeness of faith means turning that knowledge into a life of service through ministry. It's one thing to understand the basic teachings of Christianity. Any entry-level religious studies class can provide that knowledge. It's something else entirely to become imitators of Christ and to practice our faith. Because the emphasis on Christian perfection is one of the distinct markers of our Wesleyan heritage, it's worth looking at how John Wesley answers the question, what is Christian perfection? And while he has several sermons devoted to clarifying that question, there's one paragraph specifically that I wish to share with you. In a sermon that's simply titled, On Perfection, he writes, what is then the perfection of which man is capable while he dwells in a corruptible body? It is the complying with that kind command, my son, give me thy heart. It is the loving the Lord his God with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his mind. This is the sum of Christian perfection. 
It is all comprised in that one word, love. The first branch of it is the love of God, and as he that loves God loves his brother also, it is inseparably connected with the second, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love every man as thy own soul, as Christ loved us. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. These contain the whole of Christian perfection. Now, there are times that I worry I'm becoming too repetitive when I speak about loving God and loving neighbor. Yet, these two things are, according to Wesley, the entirety of Christian perfection. Those are the things toward which we strive. We do not strive alone, of course, but with the support of the Holy Spirit. Quite simply, to pray for perfection, to work toward perfection, is to move toward being made perfect in love. Unfortunately, this picture of perfection stands in pretty stark contrast to some of the ways that I have seen it used in the Christian world. I remember when I was an undergrad student at Central Michigan, there were preachers every year that would come to campus in order to call students to repentance. In their eyes, college students, as a whole, were evil, wicked people whose hearts think only of lust and intoxication. One of these preachers always had a particularly audacious claim. He declared that he was completely free from sin, and not just that he was free from the power of sin, but that he was free even from the temptation to sin. And apparently, in his freedom from sin, he chose to use his time by casting judgment upon total strangers. He looked at people who were barely out of childhood and decided that they were acceptable targets for ridicule and vitriol. How it is that he was perfectly free from sin, yet still able to denigrate the image of God in others, I do not know. And the kind of perfection that Wesley speaks about also stands in contrast to the way that it's used in some holiness churches today. I have a good friend from seminary who grew up in one of those churches. He's since moved on to another tradition, but one of the things that he shared with me about the church that he left was that if someone sought to be a leader in the church, it was expected that they could claim to have reached Christian perfection. The unfortunate outcome of this idea that perfection is something to be crossed off a checklist cheapens the very idea of it. In today's scripture, we see that the goal of perfection is something that should drive us in our faith. Perfection is the antidote to stagnant Christianity. Yet, the way that it's functioning in some churches is simply as a benchmark to be reached so that one can hold office in the church. And some of you may be wondering whether this question of perfection is really even that pressing. After all, saved is saved, isn't it? Well, when we look again at our scripture, there's a bit in the middle that gets almost harsh. The author writes, It is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened 
and have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away since on their own they are crucifying again the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. In other words, if one has heard the good news of the gospel and felt the presence of the Holy Spirit but fails to mature in their faith, then one is risking their salvation altogether. If we're not growing in our faith, then we're likely to fall back into the habits of our life before Christ. We would not truly be living as people freed from the power of sin for the sake of God's redeeming grace. The author likens this falling away, this unwillingness to bear the fruit of the Spirit, to ground that receives rain but fails to produce a useful crop. So what does a life of Christian maturity actually look like? We've already said that it consists of loving God and loving neighbor. And another way to think about the practice of mature Christianity is to keep with the image of bearing good fruit. In Galatians, we learn that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if we're thinking about the practice of mature faith, we can work with God to cultivate such fruits in our temperament. But such cultivation is a long, slow process. So what can we do in the meantime while we wait for those fruits to grow? One of the things that we can do right now is to examine ourselves for sin. One of the things that Wesley admits in his discussion of perfection is that sin will always try to tempt us. In fact, he goes to the extent of saying that we can only achieve perfection by not committing intentional sin. As humans, we are prone to mistake and error, and I agree with him in this regard. But I worry that his position leaves us room to become comfortable in structural sins. So it's important that when people name the ways in which we have hurt them, that we're able to listen to what they're telling us. We cannot remain willfully or selectively ignorant of the ways in which we hurt people and think that we're honestly committed to letting God move us toward perfection. When someone tells us that we have hurt them, it's not sufficient to hide behind our lack of intention. Because if we do that, then we're failing to hear the voice of God telling us the ways that we can be gentler, kinder, or practice better self-control. Another way that we can put our desire for a more mature faith into practice is to find ways to share our gifts with others. In one sense, this means the work of ministry is commonly imagined. But it also means being in ministry by raising up those around us. Christian education is not just our Sunday school classes, but sharing our knowledge and our gifts so that others can be faithful in sharing the workload. This requires us to reorient ourselves so that we stop asking what we can get out of faith and begin to ask what we can give. Part of maturing in our faith means being able to nurture the generation of Christians that is following us. This practice of mentoring 
pushes us to be generous with our time, patient in our instruction, and faithful with our gifts. It also requires us to relinquish our own sense of power and to recognize that the work of ministry is not about our own personal glory. Therefore, let us go on toward perfection. Let us work with the Holy Spirit so that we might be transformed. May we never become stagnant in our faith. May we grow in our love for God and neighbor. And may the fruits of the Spirit grow within us and blossom as faithful ministry. Amen. <laughs>